Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the fourth chapter of Matthew. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. And as I read, I invite you, all of you, to listen for the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And if you'll excuse me, I have a bug up here and I'm finding him distracting. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I suppose it's not surprising that the Lenten season begins with our considering the subject of temptation. Because when you think about it, temptation has been part of the human experience from the very beginning. And scripture doesn't tell us exactly how long Adam and Eve were able to enjoy the glories and the perfection of the garden. My guess is that they got to enjoy it for some little while. I think they enjoyed it long enough that they knew what it was like to miss it when the worst happened and then they were expelled from that wonderful place. But what we do know without a doubt is that when the tempter came along, they gave in. <clears throat> and what he had to offer looked so pleasing and so desirable, and they just wanted it. And so they got it. But when they got what they wanted, they got a bunch of other stuff along with it. They got things that they really didn't want, Things that up until that moment they had not experienced in the least. Things like pain and struggle and despair and death. And ever since then, temptation has been part of the human experience. 
It was part of the experience of God's covenant people, the Israelites. And, and we read about that again and again when we study the, the history of the, the, the Israelites there in the Old Testament. And temptation has been the part of the experience of, of everybody who's ever lived. You know, whether we would consider people saints or sinners, they've all experienced temptation. It's part of your experience. And it's part of my experience. And since Jesus was fully human, even though he was the divine son of God, it was part of his experience too. And so we are here today thinking about this topic of temptation. Now, I like words, and so I, I looked up definitions, and one that I came across, I thought put it pretty well, said, temptation is something that causes a strong urge or desire to have or do let me start this again. Something that causes a strong urge or desire to have or do something, and especially something that is bad, wrong, or unwise. And I thought, yeah, that's about it. I mean, occasionally we'll see temptation used towards something good, but not very often. Usually it's the bad, the wrong, the unwise. And we all know that. And then I thought I'd have a little fun, and so I looked up what various people have had to say about temptation over the years. The English writer Oscar Wilde rather famously said, I can resist anything except temptation. And yeah, we hear that and we chuckle, but I think the real reason we chuckle it's because we know all too well what it is that he means. We've, we've been there, we've done that, we've experienced it ourselves. But if you prefer American writers, then try Mark Twain. And what he said was, there is a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. And I read that and I thought, boy, haven't we seen that in action. Tell a toddler not to do something, and quite often, they'll just make a beeline for it. And human nature just kicks in again and again. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we realize we see that in ourselves. You know, tell us not to do something, and our contrary streak shows up, and that something becomes the thing that suddenly we really, really think we want to do. And I think sometimes it's just to prove to somebody else that we don't have to pay attention to them and we can just do what we want. And then, of course, you may have seen the bumper sticker that says, lead me not into temptation, I can find it all by myself. You know, but the truth is we are broken, fallen people, and we live in a broken and fallen world. And yes, those of us who are Christians are redeemed, to be sure, and thank God for that. But even as we are redeemed people, 
We know that things aren't going to be put totally to rights until Jesus returns to earth in all of his glory. And until that day comes, it's temptation time for you and for me and for everybody else. So I come to this scripture that we just heard this morning, and I think, you know, how gracious it is that the Spirit not only led Jesus into the wilderness for this season of temptation, and that's, that's what the scripture says, but the Spirit also inspired the gospel writers to include it. And I think this was done so that we could learn from how Jesus handled temptation and we could be encouraged for our own struggles knowing that he knows and understands. But I think when we think about temptation, sometimes we wonder why God even allows it to happen. You know, I suppose many of us, if not all of us, but a whole bunch of us somewhere along the way have had some sort of a thought, well, you know, if God loves us and doesn't want us to do things that are hurtful for ourselves or for others, you know, couldn't he protect us from anything that would lead us off track or interfere with our Christian witness? You know, couldn't God just put us in some sort of a bubble and keep us protected and safe and, you know, just so? And I thought about that, and I thought, well, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, God could do that because God is God, and he certainly has the privilege to set up the world to work any way that he wants to. But, you know, the truth is, if that were the case, and God put us in little protective bubbles, we would be little more than robots. We would not really enjoy the human freedom that we currently have to choose and to go and to do and to be. But God in his great wisdom and in his great love created us as human beings made in the image of God. He didn't create us as machines. He, he made us in his image as a creative creator. And so he made us as people who can think and who can feel and who can create and who can make choices and, and who have been given the freedom to act in loving ways or act in prideful and selfish ways. In his good and loving purpose, God chose to create, create us with the freedom to love and to obey and to do good. But of course, with that freedom of choice comes the freedom to choose unwisely. And that leads to our problems. So we come to Jesus in this temptation. And, you know, he wasn't the first person to experience temptation in the wilderness. When God's people were led out of Egypt, they were on their way to the land that God had promised to them. They were taken through a wilderness themselves. And then after 40 years of 
living in that wilderness, they were finally getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses, in speaking to them, reminded them that during that time, they had experienced lots of temptation and lots of testing. And that God had used that testing for their good to help prove them, if you will. It was sort of like spiritual exercise for them, and, and it proved their mettle. And that's M-E-T-T-L-E, a word that doesn't get used very often, but it means their strength and their stamina and their grit and their courage and their determination. No, the temptation wasn't fun, but it had a purpose. And sometimes they came through and sometimes they didn't. So Jesus connects with his Jewish audience, if you will, and he too spends time in the wilderness, and he meets temptation, but he does come through, and he comes through with flying colors, and, and thanks be to God for that. He shows how it can be done. But that doesn't mean it was easy for him. This temptation was very real for Jesus. His temptation was every bit as real as it is for you and me. And I wonder if it wasn't even more so. Because he is the perfect son of God was really in the crosshairs of the enemy. And so this temptation, it wasn't just stuff he could shrug off. It was hard to deal with. Because he had just been proclaimed the beloved son of the father. And so the enemy comes along and tempted him to use and abuse that identity as the beloved son of the father. And, and the temptation was to, to make it all about himself and about his power. And I like the way that one scholar has put it. He said, it was a temptation to bypass the cross, to short circuit the path of obedience, and to adopt the role of the son and the king without stooping to the role of the suffering servant. What the enemy was offering was kind of what would look like the easy way out. Let's go for all the glory and not have to deal with the other stuff. But you know, friends, it was by refusing to go the way of the tempter, Jesus was then embracing the way of the cross. And it had to be one or the other. It couldn't be both. It could be bypassing the cross or it could be heading that way. And you know, it's interesting that this isn't the only time in his life, it isn't the last time in his life that Jesus met that very same temptation. If you were here in worship last week, when we were thinking about the transfiguration, we were reminded of the events that happened right before that, 
that wonderful time on the mountain. But what had happened right before was Peter rebuking Jesus when he began to speak of his impending death. And, and Peter saying, in effect, well, that's never going to happen. And then Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Because it was the same temptation coming along. The temptation to, can, can I have it some other way than going through with the cross? And then we know that Jesus faced the same kind of temptation again that night in Gethsemane when he struggled in spiritual agony. And as I consider this, I thought, you know, Jesus experienced strong and repeated temptation. So it's no surprise that those of us who are Christ followers also experience temptation, and we often meet up with the same temptation again and again and again. Meeting it once doesn't mean that it'll never happen again. And while we are not Christ, we are called to follow in his footsteps. We are called to be like him and to take up our own cross daily and to live a life of sacrificial love for the sake of other people. Each one of us, too, has been named beloved at the time of our baptism. And at that point, you and I have begun a journey of living in that fully human and what I call that upside-down way of living that God intends for us and really created for us to live. But that way of living that is so at odds with our broken and fallen world. And so because of all of that, we struggle I think we struggle against the same basic temptations that Jesus experienced. Oh, maybe not to very specifically turn stones into bread, but the temptation to make our human desires take precedent over the purposes of God, which was really what that temptation was about. And so today, when human desires begin to take precedent, we, we find people trying to satisfy their spiritual needs with living the good life or buying the latest electronic gadget or having a big following on social media. Just all of, all of the stuff of life crowding out the purposes of God. And yeah, you and I might not go so far as to think we're going to leap off the pinnacle of a large building. But we can far too often leap into, leap off the, leap into self-destructive habits while denying our own mortality. We can do that again and again. And I think that's why it was so important for us on Wednesday evening to hear those words, dust you are and to dust you will return to remind us of our mortality. And while we might not, you know, we think, oh, I would never fall down and worship the enemy of our souls. 
Yet I think we can be tempted to answer the seductive call of making idols out of money and power and flame and fame and pleasure. You know, that whole idea that surely I am owed happiness. Same temptations, just in different forms. And when we give in to those temptations, you and I have interfered with our being who it is that God has called us to be as his redeemed people following the way of Christ. You know, I have a favorite living theologian. He's an Englishman. It's Bishop N.T. Wright. And um, if I'm here with you much longer, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to be hearing from him again because such a good thinker. And, and he puts things so well, and I thought, I can't say it any more clearly than he does here. So listen to a few sentences from him. He says, the temptations we all face day by day and at critical moments of decision and vocation in our lives may be very different from those of Jesus, but they have exactly the same point. They are not simply trying to entice us into committing this or that sin. They are trying to distract us, to turn us aside from the path of servanthood to which our baptism has commissioned us. God has a costly but wonderfully glorious vocation for each one of us. The enemy will do everything possible to distract us and thwart God's purpose. If we have heard God's voice welcoming us as his children, we will also hear the whispered suggestions of the enemy. And I read that and I thought, how true. But thanks be to God, that isn't the end of it. Because in the middle of all of that, there is continued good news for us. And the good news is that for us who are Christians, we can use Jesus' defense the words of scripture. And that is why it's so important for us to know them and to feed our souls and our hearts and our minds on them. And I would encourage you during this season of Lent, particularly to make scripture part of your discipline. But that's not all the good news we have. The more good news is that we as Christians have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to call upon for strength and help. You know, it's the very life of Jesus in us. And it gives us the power to resist evil as he did. And it doesn't mean that we won't struggle. We do struggle, and people have always struggled. You know, we sang that first glorious hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and it was written by Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer. And, and if you were paying attention to the words in it, he's talking about spiritual struggle and the prince of darkness grim and this and that. And, and one time his struggle was so strong, he, he felt like the enemy was just right there in the room with him. And, and he just picked up his ink pot and threw it rather famously against the wall and it splattered there as, as a reminder to him of his struggle with the temptations that he knew. 
But Luther also knew the power of one word, and we sang about that one. One little word shall fell him, and that word is Jesus. And so when temptation comes along, we need to recognize it for what it is, but know that we have the power of Jesus to push back against it. And every time we do that, we become a little stronger spiritually. Frederick Faber, another hymn writer, said, every moment of resistance to temptation is a victory. So we can fight against it. But sometimes we do give in and we do fall down, so to speak. And then we think, what what then? Sometimes people just think, oh, this is too hard for me and I'm just going to throw in the towel. And please don't do that. What we can do in those moments is to return to God in confession. And that's one reason why every Sunday during the season of Lent, we are going to have a prayer of confession early in the service to give us time to come back and to experience God's grace again because we do not have to live in defeat and guilt. The grace of God is always there to pick us up and to give us a new start and he doesn't hold against us the failures and the mistakes of our past. And so my friends, the life for the Christian For each one of us, you and me, becomes a daily decision to, first of all, ignore the whispered suggestions of the enemy and to listen for the voice of the Spirit within. When we have gotten off track, to return in confession. But then after we've done that, to go out and live again, to receive the grace humbly, And in the joy and the blessing of God's abundant grace, do his work in the world, not ever taking that grace for granted, but ever being thankful. We're about to sing our final hymn. And the writer of that hymn is dear Charles Wesley. And he knew, too, all about spiritual struggle. And and he had struggled for years with a sense of continued, continued failure. And he finally realized that his Christian walk wasn't about him. It was about what Christ had done for him and what Christ was now wanting to do in him and through him. He learned that he really could live a life of victory over sin. And thanks be to God, he's not the only one. You and I, all who follow Christ, have that same opportunity. Thanks be to God. Let's sing Charles's song and give praise as he did.